Okay, well, why do you have tampons in your boot? Um... I get really bad nosebleeds. So you stick them up your nose? Yeah. What? You, you've never done that? Oh my, Beckham does it all the time. Serious? Yes. Look, I'll just show you how to do it. Ah. Take, take that off and whatever that is, and, and you stick it right in. It absorbs right up. <laughs> a teenage girl dresses as a boy and joins a rival high school soccer team. This week, we discuss what not to do when you have a nosebleed, the dainty way to eat chicken wings, and if kissing booths exist in real life. We also share our thoughts on the Falcon and the Winter Soldier before finding out if she's the man stands the test of time. Time James and Alan have their say. Do the movies you love still hold up today? James says gladiator with the blood. Alan says as a father, blah blah. It's the test of time. James and Alan have their say. The movies you love still hold up today? Test of time. James and Alan have their say. Do the movies you love still hold up today? Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Test of Time podcast. My name is Alan Noah, and you on my video screen, you look familiar. What's your name again? Hey, Al, it's me, James Brief, your podcast partner for over 250 podcasts of the Test of Time, where we talk about old movies, well, movies that are at least 15 years old, which is the movie we're watching today, and we see if they still hold up. How have you been, Al? I have been very well, thank you for asking. How about you? I'm doing well, Al. Good, good. Glad to hear it. So today we're going to be talking about She's the Man. But first, I want to talk about The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, the second Disney Plus MCU series. It wrapped up its first, maybe only season. Maybe it'll have a second season. Who knows? But I really, really enjoyed this show a lot. I thought it was fantastic. I love Anthony Mackie. I love Sebastian Stan. I just thought it was great. Did you watch it? I did. Um, I enjoyed it for being uh, enjoyable. That's it. Um, You know, I don't (laughs) think I enjoyed it as much as you did. I wasn't blown away by it. I was like, oh, okay, that's that's an interesting enough story. It took a different spin on the... uh, snap of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So, you know, I I thought the parts of it were intriguing. I just wasn't as blown away as I was by WandaVision. Like, that was just something so different. And, uh, you know, Falcon and the Winter Soldier was a a really fun, you know, uh, action espionage, counterterrorism kind of film. You say film, it was a TV series, but it really did have more of a cinematic feel. It felt like a like a six-hour or, I don't know, maybe five-hour movie, whereas WandaVision felt more like a TV show because in a lot of ways it was about television. A lot of it was in full screen and it it definitely had more of a TV kind of a feel. Um, I thought that Falcon and the Winter Soldier was really well done. I mean, it had its problems to be sure. The Flag Smashers, the villain of Carly, I thought that was a little bit underwhelming to be honest. I'll say spoiler warning, but I mean, the day after the episode aired, Disney announced a fourth Captain America movie, and the end of Endgame 
is with Captain America telling Sam, you are going to be the next Captain America. So the fact that that's where the show ended up really isn't surprising. But I thought that they did a really good job of handling how it would feel for this black character to take on this mantle. I thought that Wyatt Russell did a great job as this kind of in-between Captain America that you sort of love to hate. And I will say, a couple weeks back when we were talking about the possibility of a black Superman movie, I was saying that, boy, wouldn't that be interesting if Superman saves the world and then Clark Kent is driving home and he gets pulled over because he's a black man driving a nice car in Metropolis. That would be an interesting plot point. And then we watched this show where Falcon is an Avenger and helped defeat Thanos. And then he's walking down the street in Louisiana and a cop comes up to him and and says to Bucky, hey, is this guy bothering you? So I'm going to pat myself on the back a little bit, like uh, other people are thinking the way I'm thinking, and I think it makes for good storytelling. You know, I actually didn't know about the uh, movie announcement, and this series really does bridge the story between uh, Endgame and uh, Fourth Captain America if it, you know, stars Anthony Mackie, because that makes sense to people. And I think that's a wise decision on uh, Disney Marvel's part, because, okay, how exactly did it go from an old man giving a shield to this guy becoming the accepted Captain America? I think it's a nice little bridge. These TV shows are kind of all functioning as a bridge Until the next movie, because of COVID-19, there's been a much longer than usual gap between our superhero movies. And The Falcon and the Winter Soldier really beautifully sets up the next Captain America movie. Did you notice that like at the end of the series, they sort of like changed the title to Captain America and the Winter Soldier, like in the end credits? Yeah, yeah, I did. And I, I thought that was uh, that was a pretty cool uh, whether or not that actually becomes the season two, if there is a season two. Even if it ends, that's actually kind of a cool way to end it, that we changed the title of the series in the last second. I think that's pretty cool. It is pretty cool. Although, why are they still calling Bucky the Winter Soldier? Because wasn't that his like evil assassin name? Like, shouldn't he not be going by the Winter Soldier anymore? Like, he should be Bucky or White Wolf. That's what they were calling him in Wakanda. Like, give him, like, a new reinvented name, right? Season two. (laughs) (laughs) Also, I was thinking they don't even need to change the title because if Captain America is getting a new movie or a series of movies with Sam as Captain America... Just keep the title as The Falcon and the Winter Soldier and then tell the story of Joaquin Torres, who is presumably going to be the new Falcon, Sam's right-hand man who kind of picked up the broken wings and looked at them and said, hmm, you know, and Sam was like, eh, they're broken, keep them. Like, that could be interesting. Let's hear that guy's origin story. Let him become the new Falcon. But let's turn to the third movie in our gender-bending trilogy The movie is called She's the Man. It came out in 2006, in March 2006. So it qualifies for our 15 years or older rule. And when we were talking about doing Ladybugs and Just One of the Guys, you suggested that we do She's the Man also. I got to be honest with you. When you first said it, I kind of thought you were kidding. Um, But you were like, no, no, let's do this movie. So like you'd seen it before, I guess. It's a film that I caught on, like, HBO or something. 
that's the film I thought would be the follow-up to Ladybugs. And I was like, oh, well, let's do the film from 10 years later, where on its surface, it's the same premise of a boy disguising himself as a girl to be on the soccer team. This one's a girl pretending to be a boy to be on the soccer team. And you know, then we turned it into a, an interesting trilogy. But there's no Rodney Dangerfield in this one. Although there is David Cross as like the elder statesman of comedy, I guess. Oh, David Cross was a fantastic surprise. I didn't remember anything about this film from the first time I'd seen it, except that I generally thought that it performed a la the uh, sports formula. And, you know, I kind of figured she's probably going to, like, win the game at the end, but I don't remember anything about how she does it. Well, I had never seen it, so it was all brand new to me. And if it's new to you as well, the movie stars Amanda Bynes as Viola Johnson, who's a soccer player, but her team has been cut. In an effort to prove that she can play just as well as the boys, she poses as her twin brother Sebastian and takes his place at a new boarding school. She makes the soccer team and starts to fall for her handsome roommate, Duke, who's played by Channing Tatum. Making matters even more complicated is the fact that Duke has a thing for Olivia, while Olivia has fallen for Sebastian. Everything comes to a head when the real Sebastian comes home ahead of schedule and has no idea that his sister has already replaced him on campus. So I don't remember this movie coming out in 2006, but did it do well at the box office? Was it a hit? This is a modest hit. It came out on March 17th, 2006 and had a $20 million budget and it opened at number four with $10.7 million. Eventually it grossed uh, $57 million worldwide, uh, $37 million domestically. So about double its budget domestically. And yeah, this is kind of the peak of uh, Amanda Bynes' popularity. She'd been in a, a mostly successful film uh, before this, uh, What a Girl Wants, and she was a Nickelodeon actress, so she was someone who was, uh, you know, well on her way to superstardom. Oh, yeah? What happened with that? I'm not sure what, in the end, if she's ever said what, what it is exactly, but I don't know if it was drug use or drug use driven by mental illness or something, but I remember there was a time that she, like, went to rehab or, or, or like, a psychiatric center or some kind of mental health facility and just kind of like dropped off of the like acting scene well i very quickly like scanned wikipedia and apparently she said that she was diagnosed with bipolar disorder she had been using cocaine and mdma but uh she was apparently really addicted to adderall and she hasn't acted in anything since Easy A, which came out in 2010. Emma Stone starred in that movie. Amanda Bynes wasn't like the lead actor, but she was in that movie. And since then, she has not done any acting. Uh, apparently, she said a few years ago that she was maybe interested in going back to acting, but uh, but she has not yet. Yeah, I can't imagine that like she couldn't find some work if she wanted to, even if it wasn't a successful project. I think she could get like one big comeback thing. I have a feeling that, you know, maybe she's just not ready to do it yet. So whatever, uh, you know, she needs to settle within her life. That's for Ms. Bynes. And uh, I wish her well. Indeed. And, you know, she could also be very successful and happy in her life doing something that has nothing to do with showbiz, you know, like she could open up a flower shop or, you know, 
become a real estate agent or whatever, like whatever she wants to do to make herself happy. We wish you only the very best, Miss Bynes. Absolutely. But the movie starts out with like this really high energy soccer game and it's Amanda Bynes' character, Viola, and she's like on the beach playing soccer with her friends and her boyfriend and they're having a great time and they're kissing. Ooh. And the boyfriend (laughs) says to Viola, you're better than half the guys on my team. And then she's at school and she's going for soccer practice. But then the coach announces... The whole girls' soccer team was cut, I guess, due to budget reasons or something. And Viola's like, oh, well, okay, no problem. We'll just play on the boys' team. But the coach balks at that. He says that girls aren't as fast or as athletic. He even says it's a scientific fact. And then Viola turns to her boyfriend, who's on the boys' soccer team, looking for support. But he offers none and is like, yeah, you know, well, it's like coach says, girls can't play sports. And she is like, well, if that's what you think about that, then we're done. She just breaks up with him on the spot. You know, I have to say, he's kind of got that William Zabka look, this now ex-boyfriend of Viola. I guess, but honestly, I think comparing him to Zabka would be complimenting this actor or insulting Zabka. So I (laughs) I don't think he's quite in the same league as Zabka, but I do understand what you're saying. And I think they probably could have done a little better job with that. You know, you don't have to be so pedantically evil with it. It could be something as easy as like, look, there are budget cuts. We gave a lot of money to the field hockey team. Like they needed like a brand new field and it just, you know, cut girls soccer. I mean, I thought they could explain it a little better because they're just like, girls soccer gone. And, you know, it's just a little thing of like, you can't play on our team. You're a girl. I I thought it was a little bit too, uh, like, on the nose. Yeah, I get what you mean. It was overly simplistic because it doesn't need to be any more complicated for this movie. Right. And one thing I like about this film, as opposed to some problems I had with the previous uh, films, uh, Just One of the Guys and uh, Ladybugs, is that Viola now has a clear reason why she needs to change her gender for the purpose of this film. Because she needs to be able to disguise herself as a boy and be able to get onto a boy soccer team. And specifically, she needs an opportunity to play on a soccer team that might be able to play against her original high school that cut her, Cornwall High School. Yes, but only to a point, because she's saying that she wants to play soccer because she's hoping that a scout will see her and that she can go and play soccer at UNC. She wants to be a Tar Heel. But... There's not like that extra little bit of, and there's going to be a scout at this big game between Cornwall and Illyria, which is the prep school that her brother goes to where she eventually enrolls as her brother. Like that's a small detail and I know I'm nitpicking, but I feel like that would have helped that thing that you're talking about, like the motivation for her to actually do it. Because really the only reason that she gives later is, well, soccer is important to me. And so she's still just trying to prove a point, which is basically the exact same motivation as Terry had in just one of the guys. So I feel like they could have made it a lot stronger with like five extra words. One extra sentence could have done it. Yeah, but I think that this one was a stronger case just simply because this person qualifies to be on the boys team and they wouldn't even consider her. 
Right, right. Um, Viola encounters her twin brother's girlfriend, uh, this girl Monique, and Monique confuses Viola for Sebastian, saying that they look exactly the same from behind. They're twins, so I guess that makes sense. And then they make a joke about how Viola doesn't have any curves, which is not very nice. Monique says to Viola, tell your brother that he should call me. And Viola says, oh, yeah, what's your number? 1-800-BIOTCH. And right at that moment, I was like, okay, so this is the kind of comedy I can expect from this movie. 1-800-BIOTCH. I have to say that Amanda Bynes, I thought she was very funny in this film. I thought there were a lot of things that were uh, very well done. Uh, You know, something we haven't mentioned yet, this film is a much higher quality film. Not the merits of the film, but the budget of the film, I mean, it's $20 million, but this is shot so much better than either of those low budget films. Wouldn't you at least agree with that? You mean then Ladybugs and Just One of the Guys? Correct. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the cinematography, the way this film looks. I agree with that. I mean, also, it's just shot on better cameras. It's shot in a higher definition. So it definitely looks better. Yes, I agree with you. Yeah, um, I did notice when we did see her twin brother, what a like 2006 kind of haircut that this guy has. I I really did forget that that's (laughs) what Amanda Bynes looked like, like in the film. Well, they just clearly were trying to make their hairstyles look alike. I mean, I felt like their faces weren't like, oh, these two are definitely fraternal twins. I saw what they were doing, but it kind of worked. Oh, it worked for me, too. I mean, it's obvious that this male actor was cast after Amanda Bynes and you needed someone to look like uh, Amanda Bynes. Sure. And they do uh, a transformation. She gets her uh, stylist to help her. And the premise is basically that the twin brother, he's going off to London. Now, something I really liked about this film that the other films didn't do is it not only set up the premise of, you know, I'm going to be the opposite gender, but it fully explained the ruse and where all the characters are. Like in just one of the guys, she was a female at the beginning of the uh, film, and then she's gone for, I don't know, a week, a month, and there's no explanation when she goes back to school of, where were you for a month? Like, they didn't, uh, you know, at least say, oh, she had mono. In this film, they have a very clear premise. The fraternal twin brother, he is uh, going off to London with his band, and without telling anyone, you know, she doesn't tell mom that he's going off to London. And the parents don't live together also. She tells mom, I'm going to dad's. So now mom's not going to worry where her daughter is. And the son, he's supposed to be going off to this new prep school. And he's like, tell mom I'm not going to make it and she just basically doesn't tell mom so now we have a perfect explanation of why there's a brand new enrolled kid and exactly where is the viola character for two weeks you know she'll have to think of something for her high school but you know she'll think of that i was gonna say that's still a pretty big plot hole though it is but she'll think of that later uh, i mean that that could easily be <laughs> you know I, I at least like that within the context of the film we get that answer i still feel like there is that missing element but it's fine this is not like one of these looper type films where there's 20,000 minor intricacies where they figure out all the different time dimensions no they did their best that she's the man al come on give it a break well you brought it up uh but this high school that sebastian goes to and that viola goes to as sebastian it's a 
prep school. So there are dorms and she's got a roommate and it definitely has that college feel. Also, something else that gives it kind of more of a college feel is the fact that all of these actors are clearly way older than high school age. Channing Tatum was 26 when this movie came out. He does not look like a high school kid. Courtney and I just started rewatching Freaks and Geeks with our son. And, you know, that's like the standard of a show about high school kids where the high school kids actually look like high school kids because they actually are that age. So that's kind of fresh in my mind. But like Channing Tatum is supposed to be like 16, 17 years old. I mean, fuck you. There are no kids that look like that at 17. I think you're supposed to just kind of roll with it. That's what I think it is. I think it's so obvious that Channing Tatum is in his mid-20s, but it's just kind of like, all right, guys, let's just say he's a really ripped senior in high school. That's basically what they're trying to tell you to do. Right. Uh, She moves in, and uh, the dorm is one of these, like, chaotic male testosterone overload like nerf fights everywhere and just you know loud music she's kind of totally terrified but she walks into this room with uh three roommates and they kind of immediately see that she has a box of tampons and they're like why the hell do you have tampons and she just immediately says oh it's for nosebleeds and she's like Beckham does it all the time and she's stuck the uh, tampon up her nose I I thought that was a very cute scene I guess it's funny I mean she was supposed to like hide her tampons right so that they don't discover that she's a girl and she's in the room for four seconds when the tampons like fall out of her bag like she clearly could have done a better job at hiding them but yes it is a funny gag and then it does come back later after duke gets into a fight and he uses one of the tampons for his nosebleed and he's like oh this really works great which i suppose it would yeah yeah that's fine um you know what you do not ever do with nosebleeds al tilt your head back that's correct yeah you'll swallow your own blood and vomit i know that as a father (laughs) <laughs> yeah well uh you know this film is heavily based on just like the other films it's based on shakespeare's uh, 12th night and there's a lot of obvious references in this film like you notice that like the high schools are named like cornwall and illyria i forget what duke's last name is but it's like something shakespearean Th- there's a lot of of references there i believe this was the only movie where it said in the credits, based on Twelfth Night by Shakespeare. I don't remember seeing that in Ladybugs or Just One of the Guys. Did I miss that? I don't think it was in those. And I have to say, whenever a film does something like this, I kind of think it classes it up a little bit. I think it's a good thing to put in there. And like, even if the others were inspired by it, I think it was a mistake for them not to say inspired by Twelfth Night like uh, She's the Man did. Right, right. But uh, Viola, as Sebastian, goes to soccer tryouts and she gets put on second string, which she's shocked at. But these guys are better than her. And it's not because she's a girl and they're boys. It's because she's 20 and they're all 26-year-olds who look like Channing Tatum. So (laughs) it kind of is fair why she would only make second string. But she goes to talk to the principal, played by David Cross, who is completely wasted in this movie. Like, I love David Cross. He was phenomenal in Arrested Development. I love Mr. Show. At some point, we are 
going to have to do Run, Ronnie, Run, the Mr. Show movie. Like, I think that would be really fun to revisit at some point. But he's basically just like the goofy Dean kind of a role. Oh, I love David Cross in this film. There's going to be sort of a love triangle where one of the uh, girl students, she starts falling for Sebastian, who's, you know, dressed as a boy. And the dean uh, comes across the two of them at one point. And, of course, uh, Viola, Sebastian, wants to get out of there. You know, it's awkward for her. And the dean is like, ah, yes, young love, the sexual tension between a boy and a girl. And, you know, I think it's great David Cross delivery. Whether the dialogue is funny or not i don't know but i laughed at him i just felt like it was way too on the nose like the principal's not supposed to encourage sexual tension between the students but this guy is it didn't really work for me it did work for me so you know there we go okay okay But yeah, this girl that Viola bumps into is Olivia. She's like the prettiest girl in school and Duke has a crush on her, but Olivia is not really interested in him. And Viola really wants to get in good with Duke and the first string guys, but they just don't like quote unquote Sebastian. They just think that Sebastian's kind of lame. So Viola calls her friend Paul, who is the guy who like made her out to be a boy, and they set up this scene at like the local pizza place where Viola's friends, who are very attractive girls, are going to go up to Viola as Sebastian and be like, oh, Sebastian, why can't we get together again? You're so hot. You're like a sex machine, blah, blah, blah. And all of this happens in front of Duke and the other guys. So then they think that Sebastian is cool because he's got girls fawning all over him. Except then Monique shows up, who is the real Sebastian's real girlfriend. And she's like, I want to talk to you, Sebastian. But that's weird because why would she think that Sebastian would be there? Like, she doesn't know that the real Sebastian is in London, but why would she think that he was going to be at this pizza place at this random time? It's popular pizza place. (laughs) It's Sebastian's favorite pizza joint in town, maybe? Yeah, exactly. Oh, I thought this scene was fantastic. I thought it was really funny, actually, with all these girls, like, coming up to him and, uh, you know, kind of awkwardly pausing and waiting for, like, you know, their little... uh, you know, slap on the butt as he's like, whatever, babe. And, you know, because the whole point is he's supposed to be rejecting them. And I thought it was actually very cute. I thought it was a very well done scene. Oh, you like this movie, James. You're like Duke with your crush on Olivia. I can tell you <laughs> like it. You're so obvious. Oh, Al, you're so obvious in your hatred. <laughs> <laughs> I am. I really am. But speaking of like the obvious crush, there's a chemistry class and Duke really wants to get paired with Olivia, but Sebastian gets paired with her and Duke's kind of jealous and Duke gets paired with Eunice, who is this nerdy girl. And you know, she's a nerd because she has braces and not just like regular braces, but like headgear, like the thing that attaches to your head. Glasses. Glasses too, yeah. I mean, this is like a very 1980s kind of caricature of a nerd. This is Joan Cusack in Better Off Dead. Like, you would think that by 2006, they would not be doing this sort of stupid trope of a nerd. 
And strangely, this actress uh, never winds up like taking off her glasses and pulling down her hair. But uh, it's not an ugly girl, even though they portray her as this like, oh, she's hideous. It's like she probably could get with the popular guys. This actress is not ugly by like real standards. Yes, I agree with you. But also... No one wears headgear like that. I mean, not now. I would imagine not back in 2006. I mean, like, the technology of braces has evolved so much, even since we were kids. Like, the braces my kids have, they're like light years ahead of what we ever had to deal with. I'm pretty sure no one's wearing headgear like this girl is now, or even that anyone was wearing that in 2006. Yeah, that could be the thing about uh, someone writing their experiences from the 80s and 90s, in which case you could totally see a kid wearing that headgear to school. If you were that unlucky kid and the kid that actually like kept it on the moment the school bus left, you know, <laughs> I always thought if my dad made me do it, I would at least try to get away with taking it off the moment the school bus left. I mean, even when I wore braces in like the early 90s, I had some kind of headgear, but it was only at night. Like my orthodontist never said, you need to wear this to school. If he had, I certainly would not have. But, you know, I wore it in the privacy of my own home when no one would ever see it. And that was fine. And that was in 1992, I'm going to guess. Yeah, I had the same thing, the night headgear. Now, I hated it, but, uh, you know, I wore it sporadically. But um, so at this point, uh, Viola, Sebastian and Duke, they both have something the other one wants. Um, Sebastian is going to help Duke get uh, with Olivia by, you know, talking him up uh, during their chemistry class. And Duke is going to help Sebastian get better to soccer skills. So that leads us into the second montage of this film. The first montage of the film was uh, when we saw uh, Viola turning into Sebastian. And this is the second montage of the film as we see Duke uh, training Sebastian. But it is not the last montage of this film, Al. Oh, no. No, no, it is not. Uh, Thank you for calling that out. Um, But because of the nature of this movie, there has to be a scene where both Sebastian and Viola have to be in the same place at the same time. And that is this carnival because her mom is pressuring Viola to be in this debutante ball. And somehow there's a carnival mixed in with that. Maybe it's just like a fundraiser or something, but Viola has to be there for her mom. Sebastian is supposed to be there as well. The real Sebastian's in London, but so Viola has to be herself and play her twin brother. So there's a lot of, you know, running around and changing. She changes in a porta potty. At one point she changes in the Tilt-A-Whirl ride, which I thought was really clever. I like that a lot because those things move around so fast. And if you're standing there watching someone, first off, you're not able to like really see what someone is doing in one of those cups. And even if you could, you wouldn't want to stare at it because you would just want to barf by just like focusing on one person in one of those cups. I thought that was pretty clever. Yeah, I like that scene. Um, They can't possibly have kissing booths anymore, right? Like, you know, carnivals. I've been to many carnivals. I have never seen one ever in my entire life. Not now, not when I was a kid. And I'm glad you brought that up because I had that exact same thought. It seems like so obviously a terrible idea 
And not just because, well, we live in a post-Me Too world. No, like, this seems like a horrible idea in 2006, in 1996, in 1986, etc., etc., etc. Like, this just always seemed like a terrible idea. It blows my mind that this was ever a thing. Was it or is it just in movies? You know what? That's a really good point. I will ask our listeners, if you have ever seen or participated in a kissing booth in real life, please let us know at Test of Time Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I am very, very curious. Because you're right, it very well might just be one of those things that exists only in movies and TV shows. Yeah, but um, Olivia, she was the one kissing everyone. And just as it's Duke's turn, Olivia's like, no, I'm getting out of here. And then who goes up on stage but Viola? Not Sebastian, but of course, you know, like Viola, Viola. So uh, she and Duke, they have an instant spark. And they not only peck, they make out. Right, which would presumably be not what you're supposed to do in a kissing booth. Again, I don't really know the rules of how these things work because I've never seen one in real life, but um, they are making out. And then Viola's ex-boyfriend, the jerk who said that she wasn't good enough to play soccer, he shows up, he picks a fight with Duke and gets the upper hand on Duke, which is funny because this actor, I mean, I guess he looks mildly athletic, you know, the ex-boyfriend, but there's no way this guy could beat the crap out of Channing Tatum. Like, (laughs) just no. Like, just, there's no fucking way. Oh, no, he's cast well as a douche. He's not cast well as a jock. Right, right, right. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. Exactly. Um, But now Duke is kind of like in this weird spot because he's had this major crush on Olivia forever and he's been asking Sebastian to get him a date with Olivia, but now he kind of likes Viola. So Viola, as Sebastian, is asking him, well, who do you like better? Who do you like more? What does your heart say? And then Viola's like, uh, wait, uh, that's not what a boy would say. Uh, who would you rather see naked? And then Duke is like, you know, why do you always talk like that, Sebastian? girls are more than just objects. They are people. And Viola's kind of caught off guard. That's not what she was expecting him to say. But Duke, to his credit, is not just the stereotypical jock. He actually is sensitive and he's conflicted. But Olivia is not conflicted. She likes Sebastian. She really wants to get with Sebastian. And that's even more true because at one point when Sebastian, really Viola as Sebastian, is talking to Olivia, she says that you're not my type. And Olivia's not used to hearing that sort of thing. She's beautiful. She's the most popular girl in school. And when she hears you're not my type, she thinks, oh, well, now I have to get this guy. It's sort of like the hell hath no fury like a woman scorned thing, which I kind of didn't get this because to me, Olivia should have heard you're not my type and immediately thought, oh, Sebastian is gay. Like that should have been her immediate thought, right? That's a very interesting point, Al. Uh, you know, uh, it's probably what you'd write it if if the film was being written today. 
Right. I mean, she does say later that she heard about that whole thing where Sebastian was fending off all of those girls at the pizza place. She wasn't in that scene, but she'd heard about it. So maybe that's like the reason why she doesn't jump to that conclusion. But she decides she's going to ask out Duke and she's only going to do that to make Sebastian jealous. But that also doesn't make any sense because Sebastian told her to ask out Duke. So like taking that advice is not going to work to make Sebastian jealous. It's just like circular logic that isn't logical at all. I agree with you. It might not be totally set, but uh, you know, she does set up this date and the date comes after a third montage in the film where we do see that, uh, that Sebastian has gotten a lot better in soccer. So now it's date time and it's a double date. Olivia and Duke are going out uh, Sebastian uh, joins them along with Eunice. Right, Eunice being the the nerdy girl with the headgear. I thought this was going to be like a bigger scene. It's really quick. Like they go to this pizza place. Olivia and Duke have nothing to talk about. And then Sebastian and Eunice show up and then everyone leaves. It was over really quick. I was expecting it to be like a big part of the movie. It's really not. Um, there is a bigger moment at this debutante luncheon which Viola goes to as herself, not as Sebastian. And she's not into this whole thing. She doesn't want to be a debutante. She's not into frilly dresses. And they're serving chicken wings. And Viola's like kind of like gnawing at it, not eating it in a very quote unquote ladylike manner. But also I was thinking like, if you're going to be serving food to these women who are supposed to be dainty ladies, shouldn't chicken wings just not be on the menu? (laughs) Well, I, I mean, I guess you have to learn how to eat chicken, like if you're served a quarter of chicken. So, you know, I'll bet you there's the proper way to eat it. And she is not playing that game. I feel like there's no proper way to eat chicken wings. And don't get me wrong. I love chicken wings. Like buffalo wings are one of my top favorite foods. I'm just saying like, you know, there's a proper way to eat a chicken breast. But like chicken wings are hard to be like delicate when you're eating. Or, or maybe I'm just saying that because I'm no debutante. Maybe you hold the wings with like at most four fingers so that <laughs> like, you know, you only you always have six fingers that are clean. Maybe. Maybe that's the trick. So Olivia comes and professes her love for Sebastian. And then there winds up being a three-way fight in the bathroom, like a girl fight between Olivia, Monique, and Viola. It's not really a three-way fight. I mean, basically, Monique, who is Sebastian's ex-girlfriend, is attacking Olivia because Olivia is interested in Sebastian. And they're talking about two different Sebastians. But Viola is basically trying to protect Olivia. So it's not like they're all fighting each other. And then, oh, you know, it's WWE like a, tag team. Sure. Or wouldn't it be Glow? Because they're ladies. <laughs> I guess I to use uh, that that reference on the 80s or Netflix. Right. And like at one point, one of the girls gets thrown into the couch. Like, oh, yeah, there's a couch in the bathroom because it's a fancy women's bathroom. There's never any couches in any men's room, no matter how fancy the place is. No, no, there are not. Um, but then the real Sebastian comes back from London and he leaves a message for Monique and says, Hey, I don't know if my sister told you, but I'm in London and I'm coming home a day early. This really bothered me. That's the laziest written line I've heard in a really long time. You don't know that I'm in London, but I'm coming home a day early. 
Well, if she doesn't know that you're in London, what difference does it make if you're coming home a day early? Obviously, the only reason that line is said is for our benefit, the audience. It's not for Monique's benefit. Also, from a test of time perspective, he leaves her this message on an answering machine so she doesn't get it right away. But it's just really, really stupid. I mean, it's just to advance the plot. I agree. And another little scene uh, that also advances the plot is that there's this side character that also likes Olivia, and he's always jealous of Sebastian. So he's kind of been doing some reconnaissance, and he thinks he's found out that Sebastian is actually a girl. So he tells uh, Principal David Cross, and then everything (laughs) comes to a head in the uh, Illyria versus Cornwall game. And at this point, um, the real Sebastian, the the boy Sebastian, he's come home, and now he's kind of replaced uh, the Viola Sebastian, and now he's, like, living in the dorm and everything, and now he is on the team. So this Sebastian, who has really no soccer skills, he is stinking it up, Al. He is not playing well. No, he is not. And Viola is like watching from the sidelines. She slept in because Duke kicked her out because he saw Olivia kiss the real Sebastian. And so he was mad at this version of Sebastian. So Viola was sleeping in Eunice's room and Viola is pissed because all of her hard work is like being wasted. But then the principal decides to confront Sebastian because he has this information that Sebastian's really a girl. But at this moment, this Sebastian is the real Sebastian. He's a boy. And what the principal does is he takes the bullhorn, interrupts the game and makes this announcement to everyone that Sebastian is a girl. And it's based only on the information provided by like this one dweeby dude and actually uh, Monique also. Uh, But like, this is not how he should have handled the situation. Um, And it's really painfully stupid. And Sebastian wants to prove that he's a guy. So he pulls down his pants. We don't see it because, you know, it's a PG or PG-13 movie, but he makes his point. I thought this scene was great. I mean, David Cross is, every sentence he says is digging himself in the grave more and more because we, the audience, know that this is a male Sebastian. He's about to humiliate himself. So it really, really, you know, lets it cook and simmer while you uh, build up the embarrassment that David Cross is about to experience. And oh, does he experience it? Well, I mean, also Sebastian does because he pulls his pants down in front of everyone. But I mean, I guess he does it of his own volition. Uh, But this happens in the first half of the game. At halftime, Viola grabs Sebastian and says, you're messing everything up. She kind of recaps what's happening. She switched places with him, tells him to hide out. Then she goes into the game. Duke scores the first goal, but Duke is mad at Viola slash Sebastian because he saw Olivia kiss Sebastian. And he's like, oh, you thought you were my friend. You betrayed me. You knew I liked her, blah, blah, blah. So Duke's not being a good teammate to Viola slash Sebastian. And Viola just confesses. She says, look, I have to tell you the truth. This is the only way we're going to be able to win the game. I am a girl. And then to prove that she's a girl, she shows Duke and everyone her boobs. It's the same exact thing that Terry did in Just One of the Guys. In that movie, we saw Terry's boobs. We talked about that uh, last week. But in this movie, we don't see Amanda Bynes' boobs which is fine. You get the gag. 
And then she continues to play in the game as a girl. And the coach on the Cornwall team is like, you can't do that. That's against the rules. And the coach on the Illyria team, he says, hey, we don't discriminate based on gender here. If she's a girl, I don't care. She can play. And then she plays. But what does she forget to do, James? She forgets to pull her hair back. Just like in Ladybugs, she's playing soccer with her hair flopping all over the place. And it just seems like a really bad move. But at least this is uh, her body, her choice, and she wants to do this. This wasn't a a ladybug's like, you're not pretty until you take down your hair and take off your vision correcting glasses. (laughs) Right. I guess it's a little bit better, but still just like a ponytail seems like a smarter option. That is true. And there is the showdown. And I told you, I like formulas of this particular genre. I mentioned this exact scene that if it's soccer or hockey, it's going to come down to a penalty kick at the very last second. And in this scene, I do like that they have a little twist on it. Um, You do have uh, Viola versus the douchey ex-boyfriend. And she kicks it. The goalie does block it. But then Duke headbutts it to Viola, who does like an amazing kung fu, like flying in the air move and just kicks a perfect goal and wins the game. Is that allowed? I know nothing about soccer, so maybe it is. But like I've never seen that in a game or a movie, but I don't really watch that much soccer. Oh, absolutely. Uh, And actually, uh, Duke's first, uh, his first goal was something called a bicycle kick. That's when you kind of like flip around and uh, you you can kick behind you. And that's a very, very difficult move to make. But something else that this film does that looks like it's fake, but is actually real. You know how when you're throwing in from the sidelines, you have to be throwing with two feet on the ground, right? Um, yes, I did know that. Haven't your kids ever played soccer? Yeah, they've played kids soccer where like the kids like run around and trip over the ball. Oh, okay. So it doesn't count. But yes, you have to have your uh, two feet on the ground. I don't think it's legal in the pros, but at least it was legal in high school when I played soccer. And they do it in this film. There is a little trick where you can run full speed towards the field and you basically do a flip where you go down, you bounce off the soccer ball. And then when you go back on your feet, you land with two feet uh, on the ground and you've built this nice momentum after doing this cartwheel. And then you can hurl the ball in from the sidelines. I don't know if you caught them doing that in this film. Um, yes, I did. Um, so yeah, so they win, uh, they win the game and everyone's celebrating, but Duke is not celebrating with Viola because he's still a little bit cross at her. Right. We saw that in just one of the guys, the whole, you lied to me. I'm still mad at you thing. So Viola attends her debutante ball. Uh, she does it to make her mom happy. She's hoping that Duke's going to show up, but he isn't and then she's waiting outside and a shadowy figure comes up and she's like it's you duke but it's not it's like the landscaping guy (laughs) but then duke is really there don't worry of course he showed up and uh he escorts her in the debutante ball and then 
we see at the very, very end that Viola is still at Illyria. She doesn't go back to her old school Cornwall. She's on the soccer team with Duke and they are teammates and I guess boyfriend and girlfriend because like during practice or a game, they're like hugging and kissing, which is cute and I guess is realistic for what teenagers would do. But I could imagine the coach being like, you know, listen, guys, it's great that you're happy and uh, in love and all that, but keep it off the field. Oh, and it's not just any coach. This is Vinnie Jones. Uh, Vinnie Jones is awesome. Uh, you recognize this guy, right? Uh, he looks familiar. What, what else has he been in? Well, he was actually a professional footballer. He played in the English Football League. He's been in uh, Snatch, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. Um, he was uh, in the bad X-Men film, uh, X-Men The Last Stand. He was Juggernaut. He's kind of like this brute character. That's kind of what he's typecast as. But what does football have to do with soccer? Oh, I, I meant, uh, you know, international football. You know, F-U-T. But that's not how you spell foot. It just seems wrong on, like, <laughs> all levels. Um, but this is the end of the movie. James, you clearly liked She's the Man. You clearly liked it more than I did. But do you think that She's the Man stands the test of time? You know, I want to ask you a question first. And I, I'm sure there is an answer to this. But, you know, this is based on Shakespeare's Twelfth Night, where there is some kind of uh, male character addresses female. And, you know, but the thing is, in Shakespeare's time, wasn't it only male actors and that the female roles were played by men dressed like women? Isn't that true? I believe so. That's at least one of those things that we learn in high school. But how would you pull off? Oh, no, this isn't a woman dresses a man. This male actor, he's a woman, but not playing a woman. He's playing a fake woman. You know, how would you really pull that off? I guess it's just a thing that the audience bought for whatever reason. I guess so. But um, this film out, this is easily the best of the three films that we've reviewed. There's no question about that. Yes, I did like this film. I have to say, I think it has to do with the fact that uh, I had to watch Ladybugs and Just One of the Guys over the last two weeks. I mean, those were not really good <laughs> films. I would say we watched them in the order of quality. I think Just One of the Guys was a better film, still a bad film. And this film, I think, was the first good film that we saw. I thought the plot, you know, it didn't answer every single loophole, but I think the uh, script was smart enough to answer a couple things that this film, based on the other films we've seen in our little series, they didn't feel that the audience was entitled to an explanation of. So I did at least uh, like that this film tried to explain some of those things. I thought that uh, Amanda Bynes was very good in this film. I think Chang Tatum, yes, he's obviously like several years older than Amanda Bynes or any of the other characters. But, you know, whatever. You let it slide. David Cross was a totally unexpected delight. I thought he was very funny. And, uh, you know, Vinnie Jones is great. And it's a sports film by the numbers. And I thought that, uh, you know, it was fun. And, yeah, I'm going to say that this film... For the first one of any of these uh, films in our little trilogy here, this one I do think stands the test of time. What do you think, Al? Will you at least comment on if you think this film is uh, a better film than the other two? I mean, I don't know that this is the best movie of the three that we've done. I think this is pretty bad. I think it's pretty <laughs> cheesy. I agree with you that it sort of takes some of the 
things that Ladybugs does but doesn't do great and some of the things that just one of the guys does and doesn't do so great and make some improvements here and there. I'll grant you that, but I don't think it adds up to a good movie. I think it still has a lot of the same problems that those other two movies had. One of the reasons I said that Ladybugs didn't stand the test of time was because that's like the nightmare of these Republicans who make laws about trans kids playing in sports. This is the same kind of scenario that Republicans worry about, or at least pretend to worry about. Um, Something I said about just one of the guys was that in the end, the boys are boys who like girls and the girls are girls who like boys. And there's no variation on that. This movie, like the others, had an opportunity to do something different and it just didn't take it. If you make this movie today, you definitely have to include a trans character, a non-binary character, a gay character. While I was watching it, I was thinking of the perfect moment when that could have happened when the Illyria coach is saying, we don't discriminate based on gender. We don't discriminate based on anything because I know what it's like. And then that character reveals that he is trans. That would be cool. Um, And, you know, it's 2006. So people weren't really talking about trans people in the way that they are today, even though it's only 15 years ago. A lot has happened in those 15 years. I also looked up debutante balls because this is a fascinating concept to me. You know, I grew up on Long Island, New York. We don't have debutante balls here. Or if we do, I've never seen them or been invited to them or heard about them. But I did a little bit of research on debutante balls. Apparently, they started as a way for wealthy families to introduce their daughters to society and they would make their debut. That's where the word debutante comes from. They would basically just say, she is of marrying age. Someone marry her. Uh, And Apparently, debutante balls still do exist, but they're not really about that. They're more just kind of like rite of passage, coming of age parties, like a bat mitzvah or a quinceanera kind of a thing. So um, debutante balls do still exist, but not in the way that they used to in olden times. And in this movie, it's not like really about marrying the debutantes off. So I guess that does kind of stand the test of time. I also read this article on Refinery29 about how She's the Man really does a lot with being progressive in terms of gender roles. Like I was saying before about how Duke doesn't like it when Sebastian talks about girls as just pieces of meat. Like, that's a great attitude for Duke. And when Viola is pretending to be Sebastian, she says that, oh, I can't handle the frog dissection and that's going to make me pass out. And Olivia is very attracted to that quality in Viola that, oh, most guys wouldn't admit that. So the movie does sort of play with standard traditional gender roles. And you could say that it's progressive in that way. But unfortunately, it doesn't really do enough with it, I don't think. But That's all kind of just besides the point that this movie just really isn't great. Um, I also should point out that Viola's ringtone on her cell phone is Barbie Girl by Aqua. (laughs) And on Sebastian's wall, he has an OAR poster. And on Duke's wall, he has a Sum 41 poster. Remember those bands? I think the soundtrack in this film was fantastic for a 2006 film. It really does capture 2006 as a soundtrack. You have to admit that, Al. 
I mean, it's got OAR. It's got the All-American Rejects. It does have a, a great song by Ray LaMontagne. I really like him. But this is a teen film in 2006 capturing popular music from 2006. And I think they did that well. Fine, but I will point out that the musicians that are name dropped in just one of the guys that came out in 1985 are Elvis Costello, Bruce Springsteen, James Brown, The Clash. Those are names that people still recognize today. OAR and Sum 41, (laughs) nobody remembers. My apologies to any OAR and Sum 41 super fans or members of the bands themselves if they are listening. Sorry, guys, you were totally awesome. 15 years ago. Uh, But I'm going to say, um, no, this movie does not stand the test of time. It did not impress me the way it impressed you. Sorry. (laughs) Obviously not. (laughs) So I guess that is one vote yes and five votes no across these uh, three films. (laughs) Yeah, not terribly successful in terms of if these movies stand the test of time. But, you know, that's okay. That's fine. It happens sometimes. It's still always a good time chatting with you about these movies. But that's going to do it for us this week. Next week, we are going to come back and talk about Midnight Run. I've heard of it, but I've never seen it. I don't know anything about it. Who's in it? The two main stars are two actors that you like. Is it streaming? Where can I find it? It's currently on HBO Max. Okay, cool. All right, well, we will talk about Midnight Run next week. As always, we love it when you talk to us on social media. We are at Test of Time Pod. Write to us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Tell us which of these movies you like the best. Ladybug's just one of the guys. She's the man. What other gender-bending movies should we do? Tootsie, Yentl. I'm sure there are many others. We'll get to those eventually. But that's it for those kinds of movies for now. Next week, Midnight Run. Of course, make sure you're subscribed on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on. And we'll see you next week, everybody. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs> see what I did there, Al? Uh-huh.